Hi, I'm John Mooney and welcome to The Dark State. Just a few words before we begin this show. I've received lots of messages asking why certain episodes don't seem to be available for general listening. So let me explain. The Dark State is a subscriber-only podcast. We do broadcast some free episodes to promote a better understanding of the security threats facing Ireland and the world. But if you are interested in listening to lots more episodes on everything from Russian spies to the Kinnan cartel, please do subscribe on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. But regardless of whether you do subscribe or not, thank you for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you enjoy this show. Who becomes a cyber criminal? Are they all disenfranchised young men who hack networks from darkened rooms or are they disadvantaged youths trying to earn a living? Are they involved in organised crime or do they work for themselves? This week's programme looks at the profile of cyber criminals. I'm John Mooney. Welcome to The Dark State. I am joined on the line by Dr. Jonathan Lusthaus, the Director of the Human Cyber Criminal Project at Oxford University. Dr. Lusthaus has spent years meeting those involved in cybercrime whilst researching the issue. Jonathan, welcome to The Dark State. Can I begin? Could you tell me about yourself? You've spent years studying those involved in cybercrime. What did you encourage you to engage in this type of research? Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me. Uh, in terms of my interest in this, I'm a sociologist, and that's the kind of driving interest of how I come at this topic. Um, so people are very interested in you know, the technical aspects of cybercrime and the malware and the code, uh, really these kind of anonymous types of attacks coming in. What really fascinates me is, is the people involved, um, who they are, where they're coming from, uh, what's driving them, how they're organized, and, and ultimately what that tells us about you know, trying to deal with this problem in, in maybe a slightly different kind of way. And so... From the beginning of my interest in this, it's really been about trying to delve into a a hidden world, um, one that isn't really apparent uh, when you look at it um, in the first instance. It's something that you have to delve a little bit deeper into to discover the kind of identities of people involved and and this type of structure behind it. So that's the kind of motivation that's been driving my work and my research over almost a decade now. How do you engage with people involved in cybercrime? What process do you use? Well, it's a it's a complicated process because the research that I uh, that I engaged with, uh, which largely took the form of a book in the end, um, was one that really took me a long period of time. I mean, this this book took me seven years of, of field work, uh, traveling to twenty different countries, uh, a number of them cybercrime hotspots that go to places like Russia and Ukraine, Romania, uh, Nigeria, and, and elsewhere, and trying to really get an understanding of, of, of the people involved. But it was very, very hard. You can't just sort of walk straight into that world. Um, it's one that requires you know, some thought, but also just a little bit of experience and, and to some degree a bit of reputation that you should have been around this space for a while. When I started out, I knew absolutely nothing about cybercrime and I knew nobody within this world. Uh, and it took me many years, to be honest, to kind of build up a network uh, of people from law enforcement backgrounds, of, of people in the private sector, and then ultimately some of the people from cybercriminal backgrounds themselves. Uh, and that was the kind of key part of, of the research that I've done is trying to engage with former offenders, people who really played a very important role in that world. Uh, but now, in some sense, if we talk about how you access some of these people, people who've left that world, either because they've been arrested or they've retired for different reasons. And that was really some of the most useful information that I got was being able to speak to people who had been cyber criminals. Uh, and, and they provided that kind of very internal perspective 
that really provided a huge amount of detail and nuance, and it was very fascinating for me to kind of find out more about. So what type of people get involved in cybercrime? Where are they based? Is there a general profile of these people? So I'd say there's not one profile. Um, We have the kind of stereotype, which is going back quite a few years now, the kind of nerdy teenager in their parents' basement. Um, You get all the kind of marketing material and the the, the sort of images online of 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 a hacker in a hoodie and this type of thing. You never see the face. (laughs) Obviously, these people have faces. Uh, I've seen some of their faces. Um, they're fairly normal, normal looking people and, and normally acting people in, in many respects. So there is no profile partly because there's so many different types of people involved in this. Um, what we're talking about is a global industry. We're talking about people with a, a large number of different skill sets and we're talking about people coming from a very diverse group of countries. Um, so, you know, we see people in the West. We can talk about Ireland, the UK, the US. Uh, and, and other countries, but we're seeing people throughout Africa, throughout Eastern Europe, a number of other locations playing a very, very important role here. And so what you see then is not one profile. It's not about hackers. Um, that's one part of this kind of business. But actually, you need people who are good at organizing. Uh, you need people who are good at cashing out, which is dealing with the kind of financial aspects of this, how you convert the, the kind of virtual gains into physical or monetary ones. And you need people who can really perform a whole bunch of different skills. You can scam people. Um, some people you do graphic design. There's a whole range of needs if you're running a cyber criminal business. And so as a result of that huge sort of diversity of people who, who need to be involved, you therefore see quite a diversity of the profiles of the people. And so we don't see one kind of clean profile where you can say, this is what they look like. We're seeing a little bit of everything. I've heard you say that various people involved in this aren't necessarily technically minded people. Uh, you've previously described this cybercrime as an industry. Can you explain to the listeners how this industry then works and how, say, people that may not be technically minded actually play really important and crucial roles in this? Yeah, so so that gets to the point about about hacking, and this isn't just about hacking. And actually, you know, there's there's aspects of, of coding and instead of technical endeavors that you know, I would question whether they're directly about hacking or whether that's some other type of thing. Hacking is really a mentality, a kind of problem-solving mindset that's quite unusual and, and applies to certain types of people. But it's not necessarily exactly the same as being technical. But the technical question is really, if we have this highly specialized business, um, then we're going to see a whole range of people involved. And that's what I was mentioning about. Some people could be involved on the money side or in terms of organizing, and they might have very limited technical ability. So they need to be connected in some way to someone with that technical ability because that's where the cyber part comes in in terms of the crime. But you don't need to have that yourself. And in fact, there's now a whole bunch of tools and all sorts of things or people that you can partner with who can bring that technical component and you can be more focused on the business, the crime or, or the money side of things. And so that's, that's very important to how the industry runs. In terms of my understanding of it as an industry, that was really one of the main findings that came out of the research. Was when I looked at this, what it looked very clearly to me was, you know, in terms of profit-driven, that is financially motivated cybercrime, uh, you were seeing a number of elements that look very familiar to us that aren't like, oh, this is some brand new innovative thing. It's actually, no, this looks like conventional industry in the sense that we have marketplaces and they have very large marketplaces online and in other locations where they're trading uh, goods and services of a, of a criminal nature. They have... Uh, high degree of specialization. They have a division of labor where there's a very clear understanding of who does what. People specialize in a certain discipline and they're known for that and that's their kind of role within the broader industry. 
But we also begin to see effectively like firms. Uh, so we're seeing companies, kind of businesses that are forming. It's not just about trading. It's about the individuals who actually carry out cybercrime. They're forming into groups. And they're really playing a very, very important role in terms of the attacks that are conducted and, and many other aspects of the industry. So you put all those elements together and you think, well, this looks actually quite a lot like the tech sector. Uh, it just happens to be a criminal version of it. And so that's why I view it as kind of like a criminal Silicon Valley. It, it's, a, it's an industry, but it's an industry that is built on technology, but technology for criminal ends and for criminal gains. Is this industry changing? I mean, there's a much more, there's a greater public awareness of it now. In Ireland, we've seen huge cyber attacks on our critical infrastructure, which have wrought devastation and, and caused huge problems for particularly our health service. Is this changing? Do, do you believe that the, the, the I suppose this, this particular sector, this underground is, is going through a transitional uh, phase or is it something that the population or the public are just becoming far more aware of? It's, that's a challenging one because that, that point you're making there is, is that there's a, there's a direct relationship between the criminals, the cyber criminals, and, and the victims. And the victims are individuals, organizations, and, and governments. And so they interact with each, with each other in terms of if you know, cyber criminals make certain moves, certain attacks, there's obviously an impact on the victims, but the victims' behavior also influences the nature of cybercrime. And so we see actually uh, kind of some trend lines over time. I mean, if you want to look at the very big picture trend lines, what we're looking at here is, is a process, an evolution of increasing sophistication, increasing organization, uh, and really becoming increasingly business-like over time. Uh, if you look at the early days of cybercrime, we're talking about profit-driven cybercrime, the kind of 90s and then the shift into the 2000s. It was still a little bit, uh, a little bit of fun there. Um, so there, you know, there's still cyber criminals around the world who, who do this for fun, but in terms of the ones trying to make money, we, so we saw in those early days that kind of blurring uh, and still certain people involved who were doing profit-driven cybercrime, but it wasn't necessarily highly professional. It wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, a sole focus. But over time, that's kind of changed. And we saw in the early 2000s a very, very strong shift to professionalism. That's when we saw some of the really big cybercriminal marketplaces that are online come into existence. There's one very famous one called Carter Planet, which was based in Ukraine. Uh, and that was very, very professional. And, and those types of developments, kind of made the industry come to what it is today. And that was the kind of speed of it in terms of um, the, the, the sophistication, the organization, the training, they're sort of training each other in terms of different skills, uh, different approaches to things. And so over time, what we've seen is really uh, that movement continuing. Uh, we've seen people become increasingly professional, increasingly sophisticated. But what we've also seen, which is kind of more concerning in a sense, is, is more people get involved in this. Um, so in the very early days, you probably could have counted the number of people who were that you know in, in the core of this. Um, now, you know, while there still are small groups that are the real elite, uh, there's many, many people across the world getting involved in this. And as technology and this kind of uh, technology that can be used for, for criminal ends becomes more widely available and quite easily accessible and easily usable for, for those who aren't necessarily that technical, uh, what you get is, is a lot of these types of scams and attacks can be carried out by a large number of people around the world. And so... That's the kind of trend line. While you're seeing professionalism and sophistication, you're also seeing uh, you know, a wider movement, uh, which in some senses actually makes things slightly less professional in, in some respects. But you're seeing that kind of uh, movement of the, the skills and this technology across a much wider group of people, and that's a different kind of threat. 
I'm very interested to hear your views on the role played by, I suppose, what's best described as traditional organised crime gangs in this area of the underworld. Are traditional groups or traditional organised crime gangs like the Mafia, like, I suppose, Irish organised crime gangs, are they getting involved in this or is are we, are we, are we seeing a new type of criminal emerge from the tech sector, for want of a better word, um, and they're, they're I suppose, creating their own type of uh, criminal underworlds, though it's, though it's in the cyber sphere. So we're seeing both. Um, I think the, the kind of organized crime angle, at least the traditional organized crime angle, people are kind of very eager to discover that connection because I guess it's always, it's always a kind of a sexy area to mm. find the organized crime connection with, with some other area. Um, and the connection is there. It, it does exist. Uh, but it's, I think, much smaller than people want to believe, at least at this point in time. So the core of cybercrime, I think that the core of people who've driven cybercrime up to this point have not been traditional organized criminals. They've been people who are coming at this uh, primarily in terms of their interest in technology. Whether they're highly technical or they just have a kind of lower level interest in technology, um, they've been the ones driving this. And so we see people with that interest. And in certain parts of the world, they really start to look like entrepreneurs. Um, they're very, very professional. Some of them are highly educated um, we get sort of coders and programmers and others in, in Eastern Europe and elsewhere who are very highly capable, highly educated people. And as I mentioned before, they're basically just sort of creating their own industry, their own startups, their own jobs. And so that type of person is, is quite different, I think, to, to the traditional organized crime business. And so they're very different. Um, you get others who are kind of just low-level criminals um, who may be, you know, people who, who just get involved in different types of crime and they see an opportunity here where they get involved in, in, in assisting with some of these, these uh, scams or other types of attacks. And so they're involved, but they're also not necessarily traditional organized criminals. In terms of the hardcore, you know, we're talking about violence gangs, people involved in drugs or other types of areas of, of, of organized crime. That's a harder question. I mean, it's a harder question to answer because getting access to, to reliable information on that is, is not simpler. But in terms of the research that I did and, and the interviews that I did, it led me to believe that there is a connection with these groups, that the connection is, is quite focused. Um, so there's different ways that they can get involved. So they can get involved potentially in, in providing protection to cyber criminal groups. But what I saw actually out in the wild is it's much more likely for cyber criminal groups to, to get protection from, uh, from the state. So if they're in, you know, say somewhere in Eastern Europe, to be protected by a corrupt law enforcement agent or politician is, is a much more common story than being protected by uh, a big mafia group. Although there are there are cases where, where that happens. Mm. Uh, then you see you know some of these groups trying to invest in, in cybercrime, but really the bigger place you see them is getting involved in a way that enhances their existing existing skill set. Um, and so getting involved in particularly the money side of cybercrime, where they're dealing with the proceeds, they're money laundering, they're moving the money, they're managing networks and money mules in sometimes different different countries, uh, that involves the kind of physical enforcement of people and threats of violence and these types of things. And that fits right into their traditional skill set. So you see them getting involved either as a kind of service provider um, to some other types of cyber criminals who may be more technical, or you see them getting involved in trying to, say, run their own types of scams where they might try and recruit the technical people. Uh, and, and sometimes it's quite hard empirically to tell the difference between those two cases because it's basically the, the marriage of the technical with the criminal and, that, and they're providing the criminal element. And so that's, that's what you see. And then connected to that is another category where you see a lot of these groups, just like everyone else in, in the world today, trying to leverage technology to enhance their own operations. So if you have an organized crime group that runs operations in prostitution or gambling or things like this, 
uh, we're increasingly seeing these groups maybe engaging with, you know, how do we do online technology? How do we do prostitution with some sort of online portal? Or how do we run online gambling? And so then they need technical people to assist them to do that. But the question would become, is that really cybercrime or is that them just enhancing their existing operations with technology, which is a very logical and rational thing to be doing. That's what everyone else is doing. What are your views on that? I mean, Ireland has seen a proliferation of websites offering prostitution services, which are completely illegal. You've also seen aspects of the drugs trade uh, go online, but people don't necessarily associate that with cybercrime. They look at it differently yeah it's a a difficult question because you run into the definitions and as soon as you run into definitions you're going to have a very long convoluted and boring discussion uh which is best suited to academia probably (laughs) but uh this is uh for me i mean resolving what is and what isn't cybercrime is is a big challenge um and it's it's a policy challenge as much as anything because we need to know what, what we're talking about um you can take a very broad view which is that anything involving technology uh, is is, a, is therefore a type of cybercrime. Or you can take a very narrow view, which is, no, we want to focus on things that, that are brand new. The more that I've looked at this, uh, I don't think these clean categories exist. I think there's a, there's a blurring um, between all these different categories. You don't find the criminals themselves thinking, you know what, I'm not a cyber criminal, so I'm going to stop here. I'm not <laughs> going to move to extra level of criminal. I'm not going to engage with this particular person who's offering me a deal. Um, but you do find some natural barriers, which is if someone's you know, completely non-technical, if they're a street-level criminal, their skills are in violence, their skills are in enforcement. Um, if they're, you know, you're expecting them to get involved in something that's highly technical, involves a lot of coding, they're not going to be that person. But it doesn't mean that they can't partner with somebody in some way where they can provide a service that's more in line with their, with their skills. So uh, I guess the overall answer to the question is that um, there's obviously you know, a difference between someone selling drugs online um, versus someone running a very complex malware operation. But there's also points of crossover, both uh, conceptually, but also if you looked at the kind of web of interactions online, if you looked at, and offline as well, if you looked at the web of interactions, you'd probably find ultimately a connection uh, linking these people from, from one end to the other. So it, it's not, there's no hard kind of boundaries, but uh, it, it is a challenge to try and pick apart exactly what's going on. But ultimately what we are talking about is, is you know, the evolution of crime and how crime evolves once new opportunities emerge, and these opportunities in this case are around technology. So we'll see movement in, in different areas. You previously described the emergence of entrepreneur-type cybercrime gangs, and you've made reference to these people being made up of smart people who are opportunists or entrepreneurs, for want of a better word. And you've suggested, or I've certainly read some of your work, where you think it might be an idea to approach this in a different way, to try maybe create opportunities for these people to encourage them away from cybercrime. Can you provide the listeners with your thoughts on this? Yeah, so this is a a kind of topic that is is very close to my heart in the sense that uh, I think it's really important to think about the threat of cybercrime in a a kind of more uh, holistic way, which is we can approach this purely as, as a an issue around arrest and investigation, that, that's important. Um, there are, you know, a number of investigations that have taken place, there's been a number of arrests that have taken place um, that are obviously a key part of the fight against cybercrime. But the bigger problem, I think, is is looking at the kind of pathway in and the entry into cybercrime and also out on the other side. And that actually, in a lot of respects, the people involved in cybercrime, uh, some of them are quite different from other types of criminals. And so, 
there seems to me an opportunity in terms of diverting people out of this so they don't get involved in the first place and then looking at what do you do with people who, who have been caught or have been convicted or arrested and, mm. or, or uh, have gone to prison. What do you do on the other end of that in terms of trying to create um, some kind of pathway where, where they don't just go back and, and, and reoffend? But the bigger question to me, and, we, and I should say before that is, you know, we've seen various attempts uh, in, in the UK and in the Netherlands and some other countries uh, in terms of trying to bring in cybercrime prevention, which is to engage with very young uh, offenders or potential offenders and try and sort of show them that there's another path that they, that they might go on. And, and you need a lot of industry engagement with these types of activities to try and show the kind of the legal, the legal jobs that might be available. But the bigger problem to me is, is in Eastern Europe and some of these other countries where there's such limited amounts of opportunity and you have such a huge talent pool. You have really top-level universities and in, actually not just universities, but complete education systems that are training people in engineering and math and science and technology, and you're producing just a huge number of talented people. And the problem is that the, the technology sector in Eastern Europe is not set up to deal with this kind of pipeline of talent. And so you get an oversupply of people who have this ability. And when they lack the opportunity to actually engage the skill set uh, for positive ends, a lot of them, what they're doing, as I mentioned, is basically creating their own jobs, creating their own criminal startups, uh, creating their own industry so to speak. And so this is where we get the true threat of cybercrime. We get highly capable people, highly technical people, highly organized and sophisticated people who don't actually need to be involved in this. I think if there was another avenue for them, if there was greater opportunity in terms of employment, in terms of capital is a big problem. If you can't get access to capital as an entrepreneur, you've got a big, a big challenge there. Uh, so we need to be thinking a little more broadly. And this is something people often don't want to do. And, and you get a little bit of resistance to ideas like this. But I think that for me is, is a a bigger picture, longer term potential solution to cybercrime. It's not going to resolve it completely. We're always going to have people who will be criminals and will choose to commit crimes. Uh, but certainly, I think there's a lot of people involved in cybercrime currently and a lot of very talented people involved in cybercrime currently who don't need to be. And actually, if we could turn their skills to another area of positive good for society, that would be a great asset in itself too. Do you ever get the impression from these people that they actually don't want to be involved in this or maybe have uh, experienced guilt over some of their activities? Or or is that me just, I suppose, attributing uh, my own sort of uh, values to to others? So there's a distinction between offenders in different countries. So I think some offenders in in certain Western countries, uh, if we talk about profiles, back to the point on profiles, Mm. Um, you know, we're less likely to see, we do see them, but we're less likely to see people with, you know, university level education. Uh, we usually see people outside the system in certain ways. They've fallen out for one reason or another. Uh, so they're, they're a little bit more um, challenging to deal with in terms of, of, of this type of approach. But in terms of, of people I've spoken to from, from Eastern Europe and people I've spoken to both who ended up being cyber criminals and others who didn't, i.e. that they were the ones that managed to get some of the limited employment options that were available either, either there or by, by leaving. Uh, and so in, in those cases, what you see is really a strong desire and a strong understanding that all they really want is to, is to have, you know, to make a good living, to, to use their skills, make a good living, um, and to, to get the best job that they can. Because what we're talking about uh, is really sometimes people you know, who are highly capable, highly educated, and the jobs they're being offered are very, very low-level jobs, very low-paying jobs. And it's just not, there's not that connection between their capability and the opportunity that they have. So 
from the ones I've spoken to and certainly others, even some law enforcement investigators I've spoken to who track a lot of this, you know, they'll often say they interact with people who think, well, they, these people really should not be engaged in this. There's so much else that they could be doing. Um, and we really need to be thinking about how we can we can shift the dynamics here. So it's not just about trying to arrest your way out of the problem because ultimately you can't. It's just a production line here that will continue uh, until we think of more creative solutions of dealing with it. Where do you see cybercrime going? Will it continue to expand and grow and develop or is it likely to fade away? So I don't think it's going to fade away as long as uh, you know the, the broader technological shift in society is taking place. I mean, as we talked about earlier in terms of trying to define cybercrime, if, if we think about it as something that just involves technology in, in a significant way, um, then it, it's always going to be with us. Crime has always been with us. Uh, cybercrime will always be with us until you know, we reach a point where, where you get rid of technology, but I think that's, that's highly unlikely. So as a result of that, it, it's not really about trying to eradicate it. We like to think of it as something new, and because it's new, we, we can get rid of it. Uh, and, and that's not the case. It's something that, that we have to live with. It'll always be there, so it's, it's a question of managing it. So where, where's it heading? I mean, as I mentioned before, the, the trend lines up to this point um, have been around professionalism, organization, and sophistication. We're now seeing this kind of parallel trend line I was, I was mentioning about really like a, this spread into, into other types of groups and communities. So you might see some sort of lower level types of offenders getting involved in this. So we're going to see both a kind of increase in professionalism, but also a, a kind of spread in terms of the numbers involved. And at the moment, I'm, I'm not seeing anything that would suggest that that trend line would stop right now. There may be things that, that evolve in the future that, that do shift those trend lines, but I think for the next few years anyway, uh, we're, we're likely to see what we've seen up to this point. And I think I, I always like to think about certain types of cybercrime people talk about and the kind of the hot types of cybercrime at, at the time that are mentioned in, in cybersecurity reports or mentioned in the media. And, you know, recently we're hearing a lot about ransomware. We've heard about business email compromises, another one. And these types of threats have been around for actually quite a large number of years now. So while they seem quite frightening and they seem new still to a lot of people, they're actually quite old. They're many years old. And so it's unlikely without kind of major changes, we get a, a shift that happens up and down with different business models. But ultimately, a lot of these that work, these business models that work for cyber criminals, they continue to use them until there's a reason not to use them. They may evolve them and adapt them. Uh, but I, my main argument would be we're going to continue probably to see what, what we're seeing today um, for, for quite a few years to come unless there's, there's some major shifts that take place. I would like to thank you for joining me today on The Dark State. You've given some fantastic insights into this issue which is rarely explored thank you very much no problem thank you very much for having me and that concludes today's edition of the dark state if you enjoyed this episode we would appreciate it if you could tell a friend or post a review i hope you will join us again next week